sometimes when I'm trying to think of something to write about, I'll just pick a big mess of songs and put them on a playlist and listen to them while I'm driving around. And I had this weird realization while I was driving to work and I was listening to a couple of the songs that I put in the Tuesday email, The 13th by The Cure and Righteously by Lucinda Williams, that they had this sort of similarity. There was kind of an uncommon connection between them. They were both from later periods in the artist's life. They were both about sort of dealing with lust and sexuality as as an older person, which is kind of interesting. I hadn't realized it at the time. I just sort of had thrown a few of these songs on a playlist and was listening to them. And then it all kind of came together. And that's maybe my favorite thing about doing this newsletter, this podcast, thinking about music in a way that helps me to find those connections. And I just want to say thank you to all of you folks who are out there listening to this, because in a way, you all are helping me to get to do the thing that I think is the most fun, which is think about music from a an angle that I perhaps otherwise wouldn't, which I think is really cool. So I'm going to keep plugging along. We're going to try some different things this week and see how they go. I feel like I had a, a few of you hit me up and, and let me know that you liked the first one. So really thankful for that and excited to get into the next one. With that said, we're going to start with the song The 13th by The Cure. For the first decade of their existence, The Cure were putting records out at an absolutely blistering clip. In addition to eight studio albums, they also dropped most of their famous singles outside of the album cycle all while embarking on expansive world tours. Oh, and lead singer Robert Smith also played guitar in Susie and the Banshees for part of that period. By the time the 10-year mark rolled around in 1988, the wheels were starting to fall off. They were in the midst of recording their most successful album, Disintegration, but exhaustion was taking its toll. Founding drummer and keyboardist Lal Tolhurst was kicked out of the band, leaving Smith as the only original member. After 88, the records got fewer and further between. And although Smith was relatively young, it seemed like the train was running out of steam. Since the album Wish came out on Smith's 33rd birthday in 1992, The Cure have only released four more albums. Somewhere in there, they switched to a new cadence. Instead of putting out a record every year or so, The Cure moved to an album every four years. This may not seem like a lot, but especially in the 90s when singles and radio play were the path to relevance, four years was kind of a lifetime. Hoping to strike another vein of pop relevancy after taking their first extended break, The Cure released this album, Violent Mood Swings, in 1996. It was probably the first Cure album that I was aware of when it came out. Although I knew who The Cure were previously, they felt like a band from the past until they released the song Burn for the soundtrack of the 1994 film The Crow. As a burgeoning moody tween with a deep love of comic books, The Crow ticked so many boxes for me. Just enough pulp, just enough edge, just enough darkness for a sixth grader to get real excited about. With thundering drums, a muscular bass line, and shimmering synths, Burn felt like a revelation that fit perfectly with the enticingly exaggerated goth aesthetic of The Crow, and thus to my growing affinity for all things spooky. The first lines of the song are, Don't look, don't look, the shadows breathe, whispering me away from you. Don't wake at night to watch her sleep, 
you know that you'll always lose this trembling, adored, tousled, bird-mad girl. So, you know. When the Cure released Wild Mood Swings two years later, I knew I was in for more of that obsidian nectar that I felt was the Cure's stock and trade. Except that's not what I got at all. What I got was this song. The lead single that finds Robert Smith moaning over strummed acoustic guitar and mariachi horns. Just for some comparison, the first lines of this song, the 13th, are Everyone feels good in the room. She swings. Two chord cool in the head. She sings. A buzz, a buzz, a buzzing like them killer bees. Now that's a far cry from the shadows warning me away from a tousled bird mad girl. I remember being so disappointed in this song that I honestly wrote off The Cure for a long time after that. It was only after college that I started digging back into their catalog and trying out some of their songs with fresh ears, and I really started to dig some of Smith's later creations. So I come to you, hat in hand, to say that, once again, the curmudgeon has changed his mind. The song is amazing. It manages to be entirely different than anything else that The Cure had done up to that point. No small feat for a band that had been absolutely churning out records and hits, for that matter, for over a decade, while still being inexorably a cure song. It positions Smith as vulnerable, sexual, capable of commanding a narrative about seducing or being seduced atop the syncopated boogaloo of the chorus. It's fun. It's playful. It's catchy as hell. And I think it stands up to any of the cure's poppier, almost sillier songs like Close to Me or The Love Cats, as deserving of being in the pantheon of hits by Robert Smith and company. Here it is, The 13th by The Cure. Just know this is a big mistake Yeah, but if it's gone 
That was just a little snippet of The 13th by The Cure. Apparently that song was originally called Two Chord Cool. And Robert Smith even says that the name of the song is Two Chord Cool at the beginning when he's doing that weird little moaning introduction thing. <laughs> I, and I actually have no idea why it's called The 13th. That's not mentioned at any point in the lyrics or anything. So just a little tidbit there. We're going to move on to another song that's sort of about something similar. It's about being older. It's about managing your relationship, not only with people around you, but also with yourself and your feelings about your sexuality, the sexuality of those around you, maybe not being viewed as the same kind of object of desire that you once were it comes from a very different place though i think and that's what makes these two songs interesting bookends although they started at about the same time in 1978 lucinda williams didn't match the cure's feverish pace at the beginning of her career by the mid 90s when the cure's star was on the wane lucinda was just hitting exit velocity after making a huge splash in 1998 with her seminal album, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, her plainly spoken storytelling and voice capable of switching from Tom Petty to Emmylou Harris on a dime were thrust into the spotlight. We're gonna go for a ride, car on a gravel road. After decades of grinding and a history littered with the kind of volatile relationships, label drama, and personal setbacks that make all the best country songs, Lucinda had hit the big time. Ever the contrarian, she took the clean and direct image that had brought her there and made a mess. Her 2003 record, World Without Tears, was a starkly different affair from albums prior. Gone were the closely mic'd acoustic guitars and blue-eyed vocals. The album was recorded almost entirely live with a band that sounded more like the Rolling Stones than the Heartbreakers. On this song, Williams' distinctive Louisiana drawl gets pushed deeper into the bayou, sounding tired yet forceful as she implores her paramour that he doesn't need to, quote, prove his manhood to her constantly, and asks instead that he don't play no games, just play me John Coltrane. In a way, this song is a funhouse mirror to The Cures the 13th where Robert Smith, perhaps feeling his age, is reveling in still being viewed as a sexual object by an attractive stranger, Williams paints from the palette of an experienced woman looking for the kind of easy, lived-in lust that you can never get from a one-night stand. That messy yet controlled feeling comes through best in the guitar solos. Doug Pettibone's absolutely blistering guitar tone hums and boils in long, drawn-out tendrils of fuzz. You can practically see the amp tubes glowing behind the grate of his amp as he digs in for another lick. 
While some critics panned World Without Tears for being too dark, I think it's a revelation. It's the sound of a woman who felt she had to hide pieces of herself to get what she wanted, and then finally realizing that she could lay her cards on the table at long last and ask for exactly what she wants. This is Righteously by Lucinda Williams. like a big guitar solo guy if you've been reading big nothing for a while you'll know that i very much came up through the avenue of punk rock of simplicity of no guitar pedals no guitar solos strip down keep it simple keep it short but i think as i've gotten older i've really changed my mind about guitar solos and and how much i like them i it's not that i i would ever go full jam band but there is something about a good guitar solo that it's hard to deny and man righteously's got some really good ones another interesting thing about working on this project is that a lot of it is based off how much time i have 
So sometimes I have a bunch of time to sit down and really get in deep on something or I, or I find something that really knocks over a, a, a domino and then and then suddenly I'm totally down a rabbit hole and, and thinking deeply about stuff. But that's not always, first and foremost, that's not always what I have time for. And second of all, there's lots of music that I like to listen to, not because there's some deep hidden interesting intricate story that's coming out a lot of times i like to just put music on and crack a beer grill in the yard go for a bike ride there's all manner of of reasons why music does it for me and a lot of them don't really have anything to do with telling stories about them a lot of them are just that it's got a good groove it's got a good hook it's fun to listen to that's something that's very important to remember about music, I think, or or really anything that you start to get too deep into. When I was in college, I, I spent a ton of time analyzing films. I, I, I took a lot of film classes. I, I watched a lot of French art films, and I also did a lot of sort of cultural criticism. And there was a while where I got to a point where I... I couldn't even watch a movie without going down some weird alleyway of of what this means about the culture in which it was produced and the time period and the place and the political ramifications and all that stuff. And I really, I stopped watching movies because it wasn't fun anymore. And I needed to take a step back. And remember that sometimes it's fun to just watch a watch an action movie, watch Bloodsport, you know, and not think about what was going on that enabled Bloodsport to f- flourish and thrive in the late 80s. But just that Bloodsport is an awesome movie where Jean-Claude Van Damme punches somebody in the dick. And that's rad. So with that said, my Thursday newsletter is a little bit simpler. The songs are just fun songs to listen to. I don't have a ton to say about them. So I'm trying to figure out ways to bolster that a little bit on the podcast, but maybe I don't need to. Maybe we just grip it and rip it. So with that said, let's talk about Five Star by Adekunle Gold. This song is a staple of my go-to Afrobeats mix, Everybody Gone Chop Breakfast. There's just something about the hook that I I can't get over. It's it's just a damn good hook. Also, Adekunle came up through this crew called YBNL, which is a record label that was started by Nigerian rapper Olamide, who has been kind of on a tear recently with big features. In fact, I'm gonna play just a snippet of this jam that I've also really been digging by Asake. It's called Ama Piano, which apparently refers to this South African music style, which is also a style of beat. And it's also a specific dance. There are, of course, corollaries like Memphis Juke, like the Dougie. There are lots of examples of that across the world, of course. But I don't really know anything about Ama Piano or how it works or what the dance is or anything. So I'm still learning a lot of this stuff. One thing I know, I'm a piano, I'm a piano, all I'm a piano, no messy, I know, Italiano, Lucky Luciano, killing bitches, all I know. I'm a piano, piano, it's a big vibe, but the girls, them know, steadily, steadily, heavily. In any case, Olamide's record label slash crew is called YBNL, which stands for Yahoo Boy No Laptop. So, you know, there's still a lot to unpack there. That said, 
This song just jams. Let's listen to it. This is Five Star by Adekunle Gold. See, I don't look like waiting, I don't see. I will never forget the 90s. Many nights I go to beg for mercy. Sick who's helping show me crisis. Thank you for the journey, oh Lord, oh Lord. If I say my story, oh, wow, oh, wow. Fire can't school, I'm ever blazing. I roll deep with the I almighty. I did try for myself. VIP, no regular. Can't copy this formula. I am fast, That saxophone solo is so great. I I guess this is a theme here because I also, for many, many years, was very anti-saxophone solo. I love the saxophone. I love Coltrane. I love Charlie Parker. Saxophone is an incredible instrument, but in other genres, I often find a saxophone. I often found a saxophone solo to be super corny. And there was also this moment actually i had a blog years ago where i used to write about music and there was this moment where there was kind of this semi-ironic saxophone solo craze there was midnight city by m83 which has a super long saxophone solo in it there was also the outro to the song kaput by destroyer which has this super sexy saxophone solo at the end and i remember raging against it and being like this is ironic saxophone solos are the end of indie rock as we know it but that's just ridiculous first and foremost a sexy saxophone solo is great uh it's super fun to listen to clearly at the end of five star that needed a sexy saxophone solo so i don't know what was going on with me i i think i just have generally been a grumpy person who's learning how to be less grumpy for most of my life i'm i'm like a benjamin button i started out as a grumpy old man and now i'm working on learning to enjoy things just because so you're welcome everybody so with that said here's another thing that i 
unabashedly like even though it's sort of cheesy this song is called emorio and on spotify it's listed as trinix featuring fafa de belem but i think that should probably be the other way around emorio is a song that was originally recorded by fafa de belem who is very famous in the uh, MPB scene or Musica Popular de, do Brasil. Apologies to any Portuguese speakers out there who are listening. It's kind of the music genre that came up in Brazil after Samba and Tropicalia. It's still got that Brazilian influence, but it takes a little bit more from disco, from funk, from jazzy 80s rock music. And Fafa was one of the really famous artists of that period. This song originally came out in 1975, and this is a remix by a French DJ group called Trinix or Trinix, and it's great. I, whatever's going on there, I can't deny that I'm a sucker for a little Cavaquino melody, some house beats studding underneath. If I'm honest, I started researching Trinix or Trinix, and then I just was like, whatever. This is a catchy jam. Let's check it out. Let's listen to it.
right on. I don't know. That's kind of just a jam, isn't it? I hope it gets your week started off on the right foot. I really appreciate y'all hanging with me, listening to me ramble. I hope you learned a little bit about some new music or some old music that you thought you didn't like or something like that. This has been fun. Thanks for listening. You are listening to Big, 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 Big